0: Welcome to this episode of Ag on Tap, I'm Rusty Halverson.
1: I'm Sabrina Halverson and today we are talking about a very interesting crop. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. A crop that I didn't know a whole lot about, but if anybody's listening to this podcast, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. You're going to learn quite a bit. Today we're talking about olives and we're talking about olive oil and how olives become olive oil, which is actually just a really interesting process that has continued to change over the years.
0: Yep, uh, thousands and thousands of years, and uh, a timely visit because mm-hmm. the month of November, traditionally, mm-hmm. is when olives are harvested for olive oil. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things i learned.
1: Yep, there you go. All right, so we have a very interesting guest, somebody who I just really enjoy talking with. I got to interview her a little while back for an, a magazine article that I wrote about olives. Her name is Samantha Dorsey, and she's with McAvoy Ranch. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Sabrina. All right, Samantha, thank you for joining me again for, this is our second interview, and I had just so much fun with you the first time. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I thought I got to get her back on to do the podcast with Rusty and myself. So let's start out. We're talking about all things olives today. Um, Olive oil and um, you have organic olives and so I'd like to know just a little bit about what it takes to grow olives organically.
2: Absolutely, Sabrina. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to spend time with you and Rusty and um, especially talking about my favorite topic, which is growing <laughs> olives. <laughs> so that's easy. <laughs> um, and the pleasure, one of the pleasure pleasurable things about growing olives is that they're really easy to grow organically of, of all the crops. Um, olives, there's only one major pest. Um well, except for gophers. Okay, we're discounting <laughs> gophers, and we're going to discount tractors, which is another pest. But besides gophers and tractors, there's only one major pest, and there aren't too many diseases. Um, olive trees, they're like weeds. They've survived for thousands of years for a reason. They don't need a lot. Um, and so the hardest part, I think, of most organic farming is weed control um, or I should say maybe a lot of organic farming. The hardest part is weed control because there aren't uh, a lot of super effective weed control mechanisms for organic farmers. And so when the trees are young and they're sensitive to to competition, it's a lot of handwork. Um, But once the trees are established, they can handle a pretty heavy uh, cover crop underneath them uh, all, all year round.
0: Go ahead. Oh well when you say uh, olives and olive trees have been around for thousands of years that got me thinking have you ever contemplated um, the thousands of generations of people who have raised olives and what they had to do way way many many years ago compared to what we're doing now um, can you give an example of how things might be similar to thousands of years ago and how things really changed?
2: Oh my gosh, Rusty, like I'm getting tingly. What? Because I do think about that all the time. Like the hair on my arm is standing up right here because I totally think about that all the time. I just feel like I am the luckiest human being to be able to be, you know, the current the current person of many people in this earth right now in line of olive farmers over thousands and thousands of years. And it's such an ancient, an ancient art and ancient science. I mean, the the relationship that we have with the trees is so, it's so in our hearts and in, in us. I can't imagine any other olive farmer at least any olive farmer who was good at what they did, (laughs) any differently than, than I do about our trees and that, you know, our, our farming crew feels about our trees at McAvoy ranch. I totally think about that all the time. And then I'm thinking, Oh, I'm so happy that we live in a time when we actually have chainsaws to prune with (laughs) because it makes it so much easier. And When we have all of this beautiful modern extraction technology so not necessarily the farming piece but the milling piece is so much cleaner we don't use donkeys to move our our big stones around anymore and we don't press the oil into mats in fact this is something um, that comes up a lot because the marketing olive oil marketers love to use the term first press and hardly anybody presses anything anymore. It's all done with centrifuges. So in the past, you'd make the paste, and then you'd put it on the mats, and then you'd stack the mats up, and then you'd press it like you, you know an old press would, and the oil would ooze out the side. Um, but now we put all that paste into a, into a decanter, a, cent- a centrifuge, And you know, you got olive oil popping out one side and water popping out the other side because there are different densities and different weights. So I feel like we're like the luckiest olive farmers because we have all this modern, clean, beautiful technology to create this extraordinary product, but we still have this, it's still an ancient, ancient product and pruning is, you know, the pruning practices are still the same and, and And it's, I, it's just, it's a magical thing to be one in a whole line of a thousand years of that.
1: And Rusty doesn't know this, but when we talked before, you told me that the trees that you guys actually grow, you had trees brought over from Italy.
2: Right. Yeah, actually, yeah, in the early nineties, when Mrs. McAvoy purchased the property, she imported 3000 trees from Italy and those wow. 3000 trees make up um what it, what's our our first orchard or orchard 1 and then all the other orchards were propagated um from those trees using vegetative uh, little clone little clones vegetative propagation or rooted cuttings and in fact we have we made so many rooted cuttings that we sold them all over the western united states and so there's you know little baby olive trees from that mm. original 3000 all over the western united states.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: And
1: I find that fascinating because I also am a root cutting from and uh from Italy. My grandparents were
2: <laughs> <over from Italy. laughs> <laughs> <Sabrina. laughs> She's just a root a rooting off the old tree. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, um, <laughs> one, one thing, and one thing that popped into my mind, when we talk about olive oils, or olive oil in general, I'm um, a movie buff for one thing. And uh, in the "Godfather" series, "The Godfather movies, Vito Corleone was an olive oil importer, and obviously had a lot of money and power.
2: Um that's why I went into it. it That's why I went into olive oil.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. No. But when we think about uh the importance of olive oil, because this was set back in the early nineteen hundreds. But the importance of olive oil and uh uh just when it comes to the diet and using it in so many dish dishes and things, sometimes we lose sight of how important the industry really, really is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And you know, all the fame and power that comes with being an olive <laughs> oil maker <laughs> But seri- but actually, but seriously, um, I mean, the Italian mob was deep, deeply, and truly, not just, um, not just Steven Spielbergi, but like truly, deeply, into olive oil. And olive oil has such a a, a rich and checkered past um, in terms of adulteration. And, you know, scam artists and all of, you know, oil bottles being filled with other oil like rapeseed oil um, and then sold as olive oil or huge tankers of olive oil that leave Morocco and then they dock briefly in Italy and then suddenly the the oil is Italian olive oil. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stories of, you know, the, the intrigue and in the in olive oil goes back really centuries um so I, you know there's much 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 less of that now much so much of the industry is 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 on the up and up um but it does point to like what it what an extremely important commodity it is and and part of why it's so important is because it's it's a very st- it's a stable, shelf-stable, plant-based fat that can travel around, you know, the world and still be good. Now it has to be handled handled well, but it will last a whole lot longer than butter would. Traveling, you know, you put it on the put it on a ship and send it over to New York. No butter is going to last that long. So it's this uh, incredibly healthy product. It's a huge part of the Mediterranean diet. And if we want to start talking about health benefits, oh my gosh, I don't know, like how many podcast episodes can we fill with this? <laughs> you guys, like just starting with the anti-inflammatory part pieces, olive oil is super anti-inflammatory. It's got all of these polyphenols and antioxidants, and it helps with the good cholesterol. And I mean, there isn't a single study out there that shows that, that doesn't, you know that talks about the mediterranean diet that doesn't talk about the benefits of olive oil
1: right so since rusty brought up movies i'm going to stay on that theme for the next question because in the movies when you're talking about olive harvest it's this beautiful romantic process of climbing up on this ladder and, and raking through the leaves with this special device that has like four claws on it for lack of a better word and the olives fall to this net and you gather them all in the net and you've got, you know, Italian gods doing all of this. Is that how it works out at the forum?
2: Of course, that's okay. totally, yeah. I, I put on my diaphanous gown and I let my hair down and then I just wander through the orchard, Sabrina. And olives, like the little birds in, in Disney, they come just alighting down into my basket, actually. <laughs>
1: It would be exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, so this is for Our this will be our November podcast. November. Okay. Podcast. Okay.
2: Good. So that's right when we'll be picking. Right. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's the whole gamut as as it prob there probably are with you know everyone else who you guys talk with from pumpkin farmers to apple farmers to to everyone. There's the super low tech side of the spectrum. And then there's all the way over to the astonishingly much more high-tech part of the spectrum, and I'll start there. And that's where the the super high density orchards um, are, which is not what what we do, but they're astonishing and wonderful and amazing. And they produce some, some extraordinary oil and they have a machine called the Colossus and it's like an over-the-row grape harvester, but it goes over the trees and, and it's named aptly because the thing is ginormous. It looks like it comes out of a science fiction movie and it drives over the trees and it's big hulking thing comes and it bats the olives off the, off the trees and into bins and then they're scurried off to, to the mill. And it works wonderfully for the super high density orchards. For those of us who are more medium density, and by medium density, I'm talking like 15 feet between the trees and 17 feet between the rows. And so we fit 170 trees an acre, um, whereas a super high density, I think there's somewhere like 900 trees an acre. So you can see that the the difference is significant. So for us, when we are harvesting, um, we actually do harvest onto nets that we put on the ground. Um, and we use electric combs and the electric combs go through the branches and knock the olives off onto the nets where they're gathered up and then decanted into 40 pound lugs and then those 40 pound lugs are walked over to the half ton bins and then the half ton bins are driven to the frantoyo or mill where they're where the olives are milled immediately and um and that time between harvest and milling is a really crucial period and keeping that those hours to a minimum and getting them from the tree to the mill as quickly as possible is an essential part of making really good extra virgin olive oil
0: that that was actually going to be my next question because i thought i had heard somewhere that you have to you have to mill the, the olives within a certain time frame or it won't be your best quality stuff
2: yeah, you're absolutely right, Rusty. So the 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 olives start degrading as soon as they're picked from the tree, and if you mishandle the olives in that time period, you can get all sorts of off off flavors um, that produce a lesser quality oil. So they're the three the three um, quality levels of of oil that you can make from a naturally extracted oil, and and that's this is going to be separate from the chemically extracted oils which are totally different but the naturally extracted ones or physically extracted instead of chemically are extra virgin being the super top the best of all of the best and then right below that is virgin and then below that is lampante or lamp oil and basically you don't want to put it in your mouth you want to put it right in your in your in your lamp (laughs) right and so so we shoot to make nothing but extra virgin, because that's the yummiest stuff. And so it has to have some fruitiness. So to be extra virgin, the oil has to pass a a chemical test, a laboratory test, and there's a whole bunch of chemical parameters that it has to meet. And then it has to pass an organoleptic test or a a taste test. And there has to be some level of fruitiness in it, and there can be zero defects. And then when you drop down to virgin, you can have some very mild defects. And the defects are hilarious. They read like the seven dwarves. Okay, so some of the defects are fusty, musty, rancid, muddy sediment. Oh, my gosh, isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's like Santa's evil reindeer.
2: (laughs) 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 Totally it, Rusty. (laughs) That's totally it, yeah. I don't even know how to follow that up. Well, so going back to Rusty's question, yeah, the time between picking and milling is crucial because you can get either anaerobic fermentation, anaerobic or aerobic decomposition and fermentation, and those produce some of those evil reindeer. Okay. Um, okay. Um, off, off flavors. And once you get any off flavors, you can no longer classify your oil as extra virgin. And so since that's what we're striving to make, we rush the fruit from the, from the orchard to the mill as quickly as possible.
0: Okay. Um, um, I don't know a much, as much about the topic as Sabrina does, but when it comes to wine grapes and like wildfires, you know, is there anything like smoke taint in olives or anything like that or not so much?
2: Oh, my gosh. So, Rusty, this is part of what makes olives so wonderful and incredible, besides everything that we've talked about in the last 15 minutes as well. Um, I think that that California has a very bright agricultural future with olives, partially because they're not susceptible to smoke taint the way other crops like wine grapes are and like tomatoes are. and, and they're not susceptible for a couple of reasons. Um, one is when the, when the oil is in the olive itself, it's flavorless and odorless. It's wrapped up in these little tiny vacuoles inside the fruit. So it's not like the grape juice that's just like free floating inside. Like once you open that skin, it's just like, wow, it's all sugary juice pile. In the olives, there's the flesh. And then inside the flesh, there are the little vacuoles of of, um, of oil and they don't actually absorb any flavor or aromas until the milling process. And so there's, they're out there on the trees, totally protected while all the grapes are fallen apart at their, on their knees out there. And the olives are just steady. So unless you have smoke filled, filling your, um, your milling facility or your frantoyo when you're milling, then you could get smoke taint in your oil, a smoky flavored oil. But um, but otherwise, I mean, this crop it is something. It's drought resistant, you know, no smoke taint, low carbon footprint. In fact, it absorbs more, you know, more carbon. And shelf stable, plant based, healthy fat. I mean, it's just it's got all the things going for it for a fantastic crop for the future of California, where we're going.
1: And you know a bit about wine grapes as well. And MacBoy actually puts out some wine as well. Why don't you tell us yep. a little bit about that too? Yeah, yeah we've produced wine, wine for. About wine. <laughs> 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 do you white? Do you guys grow wine grapes too?
0: No.
1: No, but we enjoy the end results. We enjoy the <laughs> Yeah, end
2: sure. End. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Good people. Right. Good people. Yeah. <laughs> um Right. So we, um, we have a number of vineyards uh, on, the, on the property at McAvoy Ranch that we also manage organically. And we've got Pinot Noir and Syrah and multiple Chiano um, at this point. And um, the wine grapes, they're different critters. They are different critters than the olives. They are um, a much more demanding crop and require many more inputs than, than the olives do. Um, but I love having them together because olives and grapes have been grown together for forever and they're wonderful partners in the field and they're good partners on the table and they just, they're just made to be kind of hand in hand.
1: Yeah. And then there are a number of products that you guys put out in addition to your, um, olive oil and wine. You also have some beauty products and then you have some CBD products as well. And I told you before, I'm just so curious about this because it's such a new thing and everybody's
2: talking about CBD these days. What do you what do you know about that? Oh my gosh, yeah. Have you guys interviewed any hemp farmers or, or marijuana no. farmers yet? Not no, yet. we haven't been able to yet. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting world for sure. Um, so the CBD products that we make are from are derived from hemp, so there's never any THC in them. So they're federally compliant from you know the moment the seed is planted. In the ground um, and we became really interested in CBD primarily for these anti-inflammatory effects that you also see in olive oil and just thinking what a what a fabulous combination to be able to bring these two uh, compounds together and offer them to to our customers so we've we've made uh, a couple of topical products and then a couple of tinctures and then We also made one for pets um, because we're all dog crazy out at McAvoy Ranch. Everyone's got a pile of dogs and a pile of cats. And so um, we made a pet one, too, just just for fun. So uh, it's this is getting back to your your question earlier, Rusty, this is kind of the fun part. About being a an olive farmer in in the modern days, that you get to bring in these other elements from other cultures or other parts of the world, or other you know other cultural influences, and bring them together to make these new interesting dynamic products like CBD and olive oil, um, and then some of the flavored oils that we make. For example, uh, last year we made a ginger turmeric olive oil where we actually milled the ginger and the turmeric and the olives all at the same time in the mill and wound up with this extraordinary kind of almost more like an elixir than an olive oil. Um, And again, with all those anti-inflammatory properties that ginger and turmeric uh, bring to it. So Anyway, the CBD line has been super fun. It's been a huge challenge to get into. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. We had to get different bank account. We have to do a whole different point of sale system. It needs a whole separate website. I am not going to lie. It was really, really hard. We thought it would be a whole lot easier to, to launch this whole new product line. And it took, it probably took an extra eight months just to get all the banking and the legal part. Um, It's super highly regulated what you can say. You can't make any claims um, about it on the label. I can sit here on your podcast and talk about anti-inflammatory stuff, but we can't actually put that on the label. So um, anyway, getting through all of those regulatory hoops was, was a challenge, but whoop. Now we're there and the products are out and our customers really love them. So it's totally been worth it. Um, And it helps because we already have an established, like you said, Sabrina, um, an established uh, beauty line that uses olive oil because it's good inside and out. And it um, has all these wonderful effects for the skin and the hair too. So we have a whole product line of lotions and soaps and scrubs and all the yummy stuff for the skin. Um, that's olive oil based as well okay do you have
0: anything um no nothing was... nothing serious
2: well, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> he's still thinking about the godfather know. <laughs> <laughs> See, now normally this is so
1: opposite of our normal interviews because normally I'm the one that's just got my head in the clouds asking the weird questions and he's all Mr. Agriculture. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. so <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd like to, to talk a little bit more about the history of the ranch because Mrs. McAvoy has a really interesting story and I'd like for you to be able to share a little bit of that with us.
2: Oh, thank you for asking about Mrs. McAvoy, Sabrina. That's really sweet. She Was a pip. She was quite a lady and um, started this whole project in her 70s. Um, Before that, um, she lived in Washington, DC for many years and worked with Jackie Kennedy at the White House and worked with Sergeant Shriver setting up the Peace Corps and actually helped him set up the whole Africa division of the Peace Corps and spent all this time in DC doing really interesting, um, progressive things. And then um, came back to run the San Francisco Chronicle that her grandfather, uh, M.H.D. Young founded and um, managed the Chronicle for many years and then lost it in a big wild family feud. Um, And at that point she decided to go, well, she didn't decide to go into olive farming. She wanted to buy a place where her grandkids, grandchildren, could come and play and hang out, um, and that was close to the city where they were based. And she found this beautiful property, and to um, it was you know part of the Williamson Act, and so she wanted to and needed to con- continue and with an agricultural purpose, and so decided to go into olive farming and. Um, This was, gosh, I can't remember how old she was, but she was in her 70s when she started this project. And um, I worked for her from 2001 until she passed away in in 2015. And now her son, Nyan owns the property and and the ranch and the business and he is just as wonderful as his mother and he continues the family legacy of publishing he owns chronicle books and a number of other small book companies and independent book companies so we're really fortunate we get um beautiful rotating art collection from the from the families from the art collection i don't if you've been to San Francisco, where there's the de Young Museum in San Francisco, which was founded by um, Michael DeYoung, Nan's Nan's grandfather. So they they have a long family history of art of art collecting as well.
1: No, I wanted to talk about su- sustainability as well because I know oh. that that's very important um, at McAvoy Ranch. So tell me a little bit about um, your um, you know your efforts for sustainability.
2: Oh, thank you, Sabrina. Right, so we. You know, besides being committed to um, keeping our orchards as certified certified organic, um, we've only planted about fifteen percent of the total property, and the rest of the property is left for for the natural flora and fauna and, and native animals in in the area. Um, and we don't draw any groundwater for the for the irrigation of our of our crops, which is dreadfully painful this year because we hardly got any rain and so we have about six surface ponds that we rely upon runoff and rain to fill and they only filled to about um 30 33 34 percent this year and so we were missing um quite a few million gallons of water um But anyway, going back to the sustainability piece, we feel like that's a much more sustainable um, method for irrigating than drawing uh, groundwater, which is a really uh, easy resource to deplete. Um, And the other great thing about olives that I mentioned um, earlier on is that it can take a year-round cover crop. So we don't have any, we're a no-till operation, we have no exposed soil and we have a pretty, pretty diverse um, orchard floor um, filled with all sorts of different plants that's that, um, you know, that serve different insect populations. Um, so we've remained super committed to that. And I think that's part of the wonderful thing about olive oil is that you can grow it really sustainably. And then, like I said, you don't need a cold chain to get it from our place to your place. And when you're storing it at home, it's not using any electricity, it's carbon footprint is really low. It's all um, physically Extracted as to a lot of the other um, nut and seed oils are chemically extracted. And so there's a chemical byproduct to, um to the, you know, you wind up with the oil at the end, but you have wound up using all these solvents and chemicals that end up in the waste stream. Whereas all we have is a little olive pumice that we compost and put right back out on our fields.
0: Just a final question when it comes to sustainability and you talk about your carbon footprint. A lot of farmers in the Midwest are now um, being exposed to the idea of sar- uh, carbon sequestration and whatnot. But it sounds like you would be considered an early adopter of such practices. And if the government would happen to reward such practices, I guess you could serve as an example of what to do in that in that situation.
2: Yeah, interesting point, Rusty. We, we had... Um... A couple of staff members early on in the ranch's history, and, and one in particular, Jeff Creek, who is an expert in carbon sequestration and has gone on to work for the Carbon Project and, and has dedicated himself to carbon sequestration through compost. And so many of the methods that we use at McAvoy Ranch were a result of Jeff Creek's um, innovations. Um, back in the 90s um, when the ranch was being set up. Um, but yeah, I certainly would, would love to learn more about and hear more about um, any federal, federal programs that, that reward carbon sequestration. I think farmers have a huge role to play in that since farmers you know, own more, more square miles or more acreage than, than any other group in well except for the government itself um, in the United States. And so we we have to be the vanguard. We have to be the pioneers in in this because the land sits under us and and it's you know it's it's owned by farmers. so I anyway, I think farmers have a great promising future if if we can embrace um, new innovative, sustainable ways of, of farming.
1: And the only other thing that I would ask is for our listeners who are in California or who are traveling to California, can they come somewhere and check you guys out? Yo, they sure can Sabrina. They should
2: come to the ranch in Petaluma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they can obviously find us online at McAvoyRanch.com. ranch.com. Um, but it's way more fun to come to the ranch and visit us. And that's the best place to, um, to see us. We actually don't have any other stores. We did before the pandemic, but whew, that just blew everything up. <laughs> so now we have our, our e-commerce platform, our, our website, and our tasting room in Petaluma. And those are the two best places to buy the two best slash only places really to buy uh mcavoy ranch products um, but we love visitors and it's a beautiful place to come visit and we treat you like family when you come it is beautiful
0: it? i certainly hope we get to visit soon
2: we will next time we go to california together Rob. Yeah, we'll head up. Excellent. Anyway. Okay. that would be fun. That would be wonderful. It would be really fun to host you guys. Yeah. And you. all the other North Dakotans who want to come. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll spread the word. Well, I was gonna say, we'll <laughs> spread the word. Okay, yeah. I know someone who's in radio. So <laughs> all right, Well, thank you again for
1: your time. I always enjoy chatting with you. We'll just have to make this a regular thing. Yeah. I, I'm totally
2: in. It was a joy to speak with you guys too. I would do it anytime. Thank, thank you. you. She
0: was so fun. She was, yeah, she was a real hoot. And I learned a lot of stuff. I mean...
1: Okay, well, let's face it. You had a lot to learn about olive
2: oil, apparently. Yeah, I did.
0: I did. I mean, it's... Well, I was just so curious from the standpoint of it is an ancient crop. Mm -hmm. And it's been around forever. When you and I went to the history of the museum of the history of the... Oh, yeah, the
1: Bible Museum. Yes. In D.C. Yes. Oh,
0: yeah. Yes, they've got a whole, like, display. And they've got pretend mm-hmm. olive trees and they described the importance of olives in those days and the culture and whatnot and they had the little grinding yeah. pes- pestle thingy and
1: i had forgotten all about that mm-hmm. that yeah you're right
0: no yep. hmm. so it was
1: i'll see if i have any pictures from our trip to the bible museum that i can post up and put a link on our podcast thing because that little olive section was very interesting there
0: i think we only posed with friends
1: no, I took some pictures while you weren't looking. Okay. <laughs> so well, aside from them being ancient, what was the most interesting thing you learned today?
0: Oh, just the kind of the the sustainability and carbon sequestration part mm-hmm. of it. I didn't know they had a like a cover crop and a carpet of, you know, in their fields, carpet mm-hmm. of, yeah, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Well, olives are, are not a crop that you see many places. I grew up around olives where I grew up in central California it's an olive area yeah. you know so i grew up around him i never thought anything of it but what i have come to realize is that that's the only place in the nation where you're really going to see just orchards and orchards of olives so i'm sure you haven't
0: no seen no. him and it was really neat that they imported those 3,000 trees yeah. from italy
1: mm-hmm.
0: holy what an endeavor that was
1: i know i can't even imagine how do you how did they do that yeah yeah
0: then the colossus thing Mhm. yeah I can So I have
1: seen, I have seen the grape harvesters that she was talking about yep. and they're big. The grape harvesters are big and they go over the grapevines, one on each side yep. and they're huge. I've actually have ridden on one and I didn't get to drive it, but mm. I got to ride and they're huge. So I can only imagine what that looks like going over trees. Yeah. 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 Makes me think of the Transformers. I, I don't know why.
0: Makes me think of that big thing that they use to move the space shuttle and rockets. Oh, yeah. The crawler. Yeah. Probably not that big. No. No.
1: Okay. All but right. Do you know what's coming up next month on Ag On Tap?
0: Let's see. December, I can only
1: guess. <laughs> and we're just going to let you guess until we get back in December. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to Ag On Tap.